You are about to embark on a journey. A journey where your worst fears become reality. A journey where hell is not below us, but amongst us. Don't be afraid, relax, and take a seat while I open the box of horrors. Afternoon, horror story junkies. Welcome back to another episode of Box of Horrors. My name is Israel Johnson, and I am your host. Today we're going to be reading uh, another story from the author by the name of Matthew M. Bartlett from his uh, short story collection, The Stay Awake Men. This story is titled, Following You Home. Now this story is about a partygoer who ducks out of the party early. Excuse me. They duck out of the party early, and they are pursued by a creature bent on cruel malevolence. Let's see what this is all about, and let's see where this story goes and where this takes us today. I'll see you guys at the end. Hope you enjoy. Ten minutes before the countdown began, Meryl was depleted. He had worked all day, and only begrudgingly had he let himself be persuaded to forgo an evening on the recliner with a blanket and a book, an early bed. He knew only Dave, Murda, and Bellamy, not very well at that, just from work, not even in his department, and they were circulating among the smaller groups entering and departing conversations with an enviable ease that was alien to Merrill. The evening was within walking distance of his rented house, though, and he could leave at will at any time, and the weather was mild for the first of the year. But once there, he'd somehow managed his way into a prickly argument in which, unarmed with facts, he rapidly began losing his footing, dispirited, aggrieved, He wondered at how he might extricate himself when the countdown began. Someone shoved a champagne flute into his hand. All glasses went aloft, and Merrill ducked through the crowd and slid out the door, not before grabbing a malt beverage bottle and three nutmeg logs from a tin. He buttoned his jacket as he bounced down the hedge-hemmed staircase and into the street where revelers in puffed-up coats and scarves were dispersing from the city's downtown ceremonies. Shoving the bottle into his peacoat pocket, he kicked at unwound streamers and clumps of confetti dampened with snow. The flurries that had been coming down all afternoon began to turn into a steady snow that covered the city-like static. As Merrill crossed the main street intersection, he saw crossing opposite and parallel with him in a throng of teenagers what he first thought to be a man in a gray carrying a stained mottled white balloon on a thick string looking again he saw that the balloon was the head of some impossibly tall thing with a deathly pallor and a slender muscled neck the crowd around this freakish apparition seemed to not take notice of it at all. Merrill saw nothing of the man's body, and at first 
thought the thing to be a prank, some kind of outsized macabre puppet surrounded by his handlers. But as the crowd reached the curb, just as Meryl reached the curb opposite, the thing broke away and shambled in his direction. As it passed under the stoplight, Meryl saw the thing's features full on, and his stomach tightened like a fist. It bore no resemblance to any earthly creature he'd ever seen. Everything was wrong. He broke into a jog, and at the next crosswalk, he bolted back across the street and ducked down an alley that led to a parking lot and a side road. Then he walked between two houses to the long road that led to his house. Turning, he could see the crowds on Main Street. There it was, that pale head bobbling just below a streetlight, swiveling, searching. Merrill took a circuitous route home, doubling back, looking behind him frequently, and with great apprehension. Across the sky, like a rocket shot a caning, a terrible, echoing shriek, like some monstrous cicada. It was a desperate, searing expression of hungry desire, tinged with equal parts of outrage and mournfulness. Merrill stopped still, everything inside him clenching now, his teeth pushing against each other. Across the street, in a boxy, raised ranch, he saw two silhouettes appear in a yellow window, black countenances tilted upward toward the sky. Then the light in the room was extinguished, dropping the silhouettes into gray obscurity. The cry reached a searing pitch, then trailed off with sounds like fever-sharp knife edges sliding across one another. The silence that followed was somehow worse, for he knew the cry would sound again. And so it did, not a full minute later, louder and longer this time, causing the muscle in his throat to vibrate, his testicles to pull up into his body for protection, his body shrink itself into a fetal crouch, his hands splaying on the sidewalk like talons. When it stopped, he ran full bore to his house. There, it was just ahead, low and blue, the familiar orange glow in the kitchen window. He entered, keys onto telephone table, up to the bathroom where he washed his face and reached himself momentarily in the mirror. It's okay. It can't find him. He lost it. It was maybe just a man, a deformed man, harmless, celebrating the new year in a city known for tolerating its freaks and its oddballs. Maybe it had been a puppet, or, or a hologram, a new year's prank. He climbed into his rumpled bed and hit the light, silence, but for the clicking of the pipes. He pictured that horrific thing, stalking the darkened streets searching for him. The house creaked, a settling sound, normal. But Merrill's heart jumped and then beat so hard he wondered if he might have some kind of attack. Did the light change just a touch around the corner from the doorway to the bedroom? Was that a light footstep, tentative, cautious? Merrill turned on his light and leapt from his bed. He strode about the rooms, chest out, brave of face, 
turning on all lights. Then to the front door, it looked somehow crouched, poised to burst open and admit unimaginable horror. Strangely, Meryl suddenly felt calm, settled at a strange ease. He remembers the bottle in his pocket. He pulls it from his jacket, tossed over the back of the chair, drinks lemon sweet and boozy fizz roiling at the roof of his mouth. The cold from the outside fills the room and turns it icy blue. He angles the recliner to face the closed door, considers, up and opens the door, sits facing the statically rectangle of street and snow-capped hedge, lit by a street light, a few leaves skitter by, chasing and teasing each other, relics from a dead and buried autumn. His eyes blink quickly, more slowly now, more closed than open. He pictures the hideous creature emerging from the thicket like a mantis, gaping black mouth with teeth like a serpent's, dripping with the mucousy venom, fingers without bones, wriggling with perverse anticipation, eyes deep in fleshy caverns, kaleidoscopic rubian rot, its gnarled torso and limbs are cloaked, he imagines in blankets that once swaddled bloated and desiccated corpses, sticky with sweat and suppurations, torn and clotted, its smell is septic, toxic, tinged with the blasphemy of citrus, and yet what appears in the doorway, what steps with long, twig-thin, gnarled white leg over the transom, what approaches on white, serrated pincers is worse than what he saw on that snow-speckled street, worse than what he had imagined, worse than what he would have been capable of imagining. He greets it with a hoarse, rising shriek of laughter as it deliberately disrobes him its horrible head tilted like that of an animal he gibbers and jabbers and weeps it plucks his lashes and places them gently delicately in his eyes the pain is unreal he blinks rapidly water filling his eyes he sees the thing swimming in salt wavering leering only then does it begin its real cruelties and after all the monstrous ministrations, all the penetrations and the whisperings, the promise and the betrayals, the lashings, the hoarse imparting, in a nigh impenetrable accent of ghastly truths and ghoulish prophecies, it does the worst thing, the cruelest and most horrible act, it leaves Meryl alive. Matthew Bartlett, everybody. I think he taught us a valuable lesson today, and I think that lesson is to never leave a good party early. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the show. I hope you guys enjoyed that story as much as I enjoyed reading it. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you next week on Box of Horrors. (laughs) 